There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Claire McKenna. You're listening to Changemakers, the podcast series talking to people at the forefront of change. But you should never underestimate the power of a conversation. It can reframe how we think, the information we go on to seek, and the conversations we go on to have. This is all part of the change process. So today is the final episode of season three. I actually can't believe it. I wanted to have a podcast for so long, but I was conflicted because I have a radio show, which is podcast. And I wanted to establish that and give it all my time. I've been doing that for the last three years. But I was also waiting to find what it was I really wanted to cover in my own podcast. I've always been fascinated by the notion of change from our own relationship with it to the people who really go the extra mile and either transform within themselves or fight for a cause that they believe in and bring about change for everyone. And what I've learned over the three seasons is firstly that you can do anything you set your mind to. At the start, doing this podcast was an absolute mountain I had to climb. It was new territory. It was extra work. But one step at a time, I got there. And it's just so interesting to me how something so challenging at the start can eventually just weave its way into your life and become part of your life just by taking one step at a time. And something else I've realised is that when starting in season one, I was thinking that Changemakers was a bit of a, an us and them setup, that there were just some people who had an extra spark and I wanted to get into what was it that led to that spark. But what I've found is that the majority of Changemakers that I have spoken to were motivated by a personal experience, which was almost impossible for them to ignore. And and yes, they had to push to make it happen, but no person is an island. No change maker can bring about the change without support from those around them and people getting behind them. We think that telling a friend or sharing a post won't make an impact, but it does all add up. Scientists at a Polytechnic Institute in New York found that when just 10% of the population holds an unshakable belief, their belief will always be adopted by the majority of the society. And Erica Chenworth is a political scientist at Harvard University. And when she looked at hundreds of campaigns across the world over the last century, she found that non-violent campaigns were twice as likely to achieve their goals than violent. And it only took a staggering 3.5% of the population actively participating in the protests to ensure serious political change. So with this episode today, I wanted to do something slightly different. I'm still talking to someone who works in the area of making change. But if we want to show up in the world or even just in our own life, we can't pour from an empty cup. So I've invited life coach Ashling Nestor onto the podcast today. 
Ashley was working as a medical professional in the area of mental health when she experienced severe burnout, which left her bedridden for three months. When medical and psychological assessments gave her a clean bill of health, she began working with a coach who made her unpack the stories she was telling herself, assess the impact they were having on her life and make a plan to move forward. Ashling has retrained to become a coach herself and now works to bring people on a journey similar to her own. Today, she talks to me about identifying our self-limiting beliefs, where they come from, looking at our values and our needs and taking steps to a more contented life. I want to take this opportunity to say thank you so much to every single one of you for listening to the podcast so far. I've loved doing it and I've learned so much from each guest myself. So I've been happy that it's something I'm proud of, but to see it resonate with people all over the world has been an absolute joy. Listeners in America, Brazil, Australia, India, and of course, closer to home here in Ireland has just been amazing to see. I am a great lover of podcasts and I've had so many moments myself listening to others when how I see something has been reframed. So I hope that you have gotten something out of each episode. If nothing else, an empowerment that we can all be the change we want to see in the world. And I hope you enjoy today's episode. I'm going to take a short break to work on some other projects over the next couple of months, but I will be back with some more change makers in the new year. So here it is, the final episode of season three. Ashling Nestor, you are very welcome to Changemakers. Thank you, Claire. Ashling, let's go back before we get into your current work. You mm. were a nurse originally. So was that something that was always on your cards growing up? Absolutely. The minute you ask me that question, a memory comes to mind. And I was about six or seven and I was in my granny's house and... For Christmas, I was after getting the nurse's uniform and even though it was a doctor's set, it was in my mind, it represented, you know, helping people working as a nurse. And there's a photo of me being taken and I'm just sitting, standing by the fireplace in my nurse's uniform. And I remember so clearly, that's what I, that's what I want to be when I grow up. I want to be a nurse. I want to help people. And you chose to work in the area of of mental health. Mm. Was there much discussion of that at, at the time? What led you to choose that particular field? Do you know, there wasn't that much talk about mental health at the time. And I remember when I was doing my leave insert that year, it was the first year that nursing had become a degree. And I knew it was nursing that I wanted to do. So I had the options to put down to go to do my training to become a nurse as a general nurse there was 10 options there was 10 options to train as a psychiatric nurse and 10 options to train as an intellectual disability nurse so I said you know what I'm kind of open I like as long as I'm nursing I don't really mind which one I get so I filled out the third the 30 spaces for nursing to get uh, to get into college to study nursing but because of that particular year the first year that it nursing had become a degree the points for nursing had actually gone up extremely high and it wasn't expected so because of this I actually didn't get 
the points to study general nursing, which really was my my primary focus. So I got the points to study psychiatric nursing, mental health nursing. And I was like, humming and hawing. I was like, will I do it? Won't I do it? And I suppose I really have been a firm believer that things happen for a reason in your life. And I said, okay, I could go back and I could repeat the leave insert and get where I really want to go. But I was like, actually, you did, you have always said throughout the years that it's nursing that you wanted to do. So I suppose, Claire, it really was a bit of a good instinct. I was like, you know what? I don't really know too much about this, but I feel that this is being presented in my life for some reason. So, so let's go for it. So I remember like sitting down with my mom and there was big talks like, you know, do I take this offer um, to train as a as mental health nurse or will I go back and repeat the leave insert? And I remember just saying to my mom, and I suppose it was quite strong in my conviction at that time because of past experience that had happened to me, that I was like, no, I just said, do you know what? I'm going to do it for a year. I said, let me study mental health nursing for a year and I'll know after giving it a year if it's for me or not. And I said, if it's not for me, I'll go back and I'll repeat the leave insert and then I'll go on to study general nursing. And I'll never forget my first day in college and then my first day on placement out as a mental health nurse. And I was like, this is for me. This is actually the nursing that I wanted, but I didn't know that this was what it was called, that it was mental health nursing. Because for me, when I was linking in with the with the patients or the clients that we call them now, I was really helping the person. It wasn't just the broken leg. It wasn't the broken arm. It wasn't the diabetes. I was getting to work with the whole person from head to toe. I was getting to get to know them on a much deeper level and and really help them get unstuck and to, to get better. And it was after that first year, I was like, no, this is the route for me. This is absolutely gorgeous. I definitely want to stay on this journey. That's so interesting. I presumed that all nurses started out as general nurses and then you could choose a field of speciality, I suppose. So yeah. it's funny that it presented itself to you. And then, as you say, you found it was exactly what you had been looking for. And when you say past experiences helped you yeah. make the decision, what did you mean? When I was six, I was labelled as a slow learner. So if you can imagine the six-year-old girl labelled as a slow learner. And I suppose in today's terms, that that would have been, that's called dyslexic. But there wasn't that much known about it back then. So this was from, I suppose, my parents' concerns and the educational system's concerns. So because of this, at that time, I really started to develop this belief about myself that I'm stupid, that I'm not enough, and that other people were far greater than I was. And that resulted in me then having absolutely no confidence in my abilities. And how that showed up there, even as young as six, up until the age of 16, where I I didn't speak up. I became like this really quiet child because I was like, sure, who's going to want to hear what I have to say? Sure, I'm stupid. You know, everybody has a better opinion than I have. I didn't partake in team sports because it wasn't good enough. And then I didn't partake in, in in my homework, in the academic space that I was finding myself in as every kid finds himself in. And then I never got questioned when I didn't do my homework because it was, and I don't know if this is what the teachers were thinking, but it came across that way as like, oh, sure, she's the slow learner. It was probably too hard. We won't put too much um, pressure on Ashling 
to, to do the homework. So I was never expected to have my homework done. But then at the age of 16, I was now in secondary school, still considered a slow learn, learner, still put in what was then called as the remedial classes. And I was taken out of certain subjects. But it was now sink or swim. Because as I said, Claire, at that age of six, while I was being labelled as a slow learner, I had this goal. I had this dream for my life that I wanted to be a nurse. So I sat down with my mum. I was so nervous. I was so nervous. I did not know what she was going to say. And I said, I was like, mum, I don't think I'm, I'm remedial. I don't think I'm a slow learner. I was like, please, can I be assessed? Because I really want to study nursing in college I really want to become a nurse and I can only do it if I have all of these subjects so mum asked the school would they assess me and I passed with flying colours so when I was in that same space when my leaving cert results came in do I study psychiatric nursing or do I go back and repeat and I was like no I'm actually going to stay true to who I am as a person here it's okay to potentially try it and fail it because I suppose I put myself in that position already. So I felt like it was a similar pattern that was after showing up in my life. That's what got me in that space of like, no, I'm just going to try it for the year. And do you think that any small part of you, even with hindsight, was looking at helping people in the mental health space that may have also been given a label that was beginning to hold them back, but actually with help and support, they may be able to flourish in spite of that label. Absolutely. 100%. Because when you're meeting, when I was meeting people within this mental health space, like, you know, these, the patients, the clients that were coming in, just the vulnerability. And and obviously I think we all get this sense of when we're looking in at someone's life, we see the beauty within that person. We see the possibilities for them it's it was such a gorgeous space to be able to, to to help these people then to to get unstuck to get where they want where they want to go in life but definitely 100% I could see parts of me in each of the patients that you're meeting you know there's we like we're human we all have the same experiences but it'll be, it'll show up differently in our life and there'll be different things that have brought us to those experiences so yes, absolutely. These were people that were stuck. These were people that were scared. They were worried. And it was just felt absolutely gorgeous to really be in a position. It was a privilege, an absolute privilege to be in a space where I got to help people recover from that and to get back on track. And and obviously the stigma of mental health, you know, yes, it's 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 reduced over the years. But there still is a huge stigma attached to mental health. Yeah, I mean, even when I'm I'm thinking now, mm. it's because of the images that are put out, I think, in, in, in films and television. Yeah. Uh, you know, I wanted to ask you what a day in the life of a psychiatric nurse is, because mm-hmm. I think all we see is sort of people sitting in a room heavily medicated or worse, you know, the one flew over the cuckoo's nest yes. type image. And mm. I'm sure that's not actually the the reality. You're right. We talk about mental health and how to protect it and, and how we should support people going through it. But we mm. still have a bit of a, a stigma about the, the treatment of it. There's still a lot of fear there and a lot of unknown. 
yeah, absolutely. And and what it looks like in the day of a, a mental health nurse. And just, we all know that there was like institutionalization that happened, you know, many, many years ago. So there is, within the mental health space, there is still some clients that are in the mental health services because of institutionalization that happened 50, 60 years ago. So we're in a space where we're still caring for them. But that's not the typical space of what mental health nursing is about. I think that's where the stigma can it has been driven from. But, but Claire, when I was working within the space of like mental health where institutionalization wasn't the thing that brought a person to be within the mental health space, there are people like you and me. But... Every there's there's a saying and I remember I had to write an essay when I was doing one of my postgraduate diplomas and I absolutely loved it. And it was like, there's no such thing as health without mental health. But we're so caught up with the judgments that people will have about us. We're so caught up with, you know, we have to be this strong person. We're we're comparing ourselves to other people. So when we find ourselves within that space of, of mental health becoming an issue for us, it's nearly like our worst, it can feel like our worst fear has come alive. And then, again, it's, it's our brain is brought back to, as you're saying, like one flew over the cuckoo's nest. But really, that's, that was because of 60 years ago. That's what was done 60, 70 years ago. It's not what's done today. But that's where our brain goes. We go back to to those images that we have there, but it's not. So a day a day in the life of a nurse, you're 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 dealing with people that are just like me and you that just have found themselves stuck for whatever reason. And, and stress is a huge factor. There's genetics plays into it, but they're just people who found themselves stuck, but who we actually their goal is that they want to be happy. They want to be content. They just want to be living a life. That feels good for them whatever way that looks we can think that sometimes when we find ourselves at a rock bottom situation that it's the worst thing that can happen to us but it's with hindsight when we've mustered the courage to to crawl out of that to crawl out of that dark space that actually it's the opportunity to grow from it and to be an even better version of yourself so it really can be a good thing to happen when we look back with hindsight you left mental health nursing what mm-hmm. happened so why I left mental health nursing was because unfortunately in 2013 I was assaulted by two different patients over a six-month period and this resulted in me getting post-traumatic stress disorder and really crippling anxiety so I ha- and I also resulted in getting chronic pain that I still have, but it, but it's very well managed. But at that time, within that space, <clears throat> because I was after being assaulted three times by two different patients over a six month period, I now had post traumatic stress disorder, and I had absolutely crippling anxiety. It stopped me from working for six months. I found myself in a space where where I had to go for therapy. You know, I was like, wow, I was like, I really can't manage this on my own. So again, there was a lot of shame that I had that I experienced at the time because I was a mental health nurse. I was now struggling with my own mental health and I had to ask for help, but I knew I needed help. So I, I linked in with a therapist um, and I overcame the post-traumatic stress disorder. The, the anxiety now definitely did take a number of years 
to learn how to manage it but I eventually got there so it was I found myself really having to figure out okay well what am I going to do because I still want to help people I still want to work within the space of mental health and of well-being helping people achieve their goals but how do I do it so because the anxiety had stopped me from it brought up this fear of not wanting to get assaulted again I wanted to I suppose protect myself I now had to look at another way that I could still do what I loved, that I could still work with my passions, but do it in a way that that really best served me. So again, because we're in mental health or you're when you're a nurse, sometimes we can have tunnel vision. We can't really see what other opportunities are out there for us. But this put me in a space that I had to explore. I had to figure out where was I going to go? What was I going to do? So I suppose I went on a journey of, you know, doing different jobs and, and roles within the healthcare setting. And they were management and, and they were gorgeous. Like I was a clinical nurse specialist. I worked as an inspector with the Mental Health Commission. You know, I had really good, you know, uh, management positions. But I just felt... It wasn't what I wanted to be doing. I wanted to be working closely with the clients again. So then I had my burnout in 2019. And again, I was faced with the same challenges. What was going on? This is when the life coach came in, really worked on my limiting beliefs, really worked on like, what did I want to do? What were my passions? What were my values? What were my strengths? And I was like, okay, I actually want to work one-to-one with people like what I did when I was a mental health nurse. But how can I do it now in a space that I'm serving myself and that I'm also helping people? And tell me a bit about the the burnout. What was going on in in life in the lead up to that? And and how did that manifest? I found myself in a job that really was was not for me. It wasn't suited for me. And because I found it a challenge, it, it really challenged me. It wasn't what I was naturally good at. It started to really unearth and activate all of those old core beliefs again, those old stories that I was telling myself that I'm stupid, I'm not good enough. What are you doing, Ashley? You can't get this job right. And the more this was happening, I suppose I wasn't clear, I wasn't performing well within the job. And it was noticed. It was noticed by my managers, they were having conversations with me. And this was further confirming to me that I was stupid. And all of this then eventually led to the burnout. And what does burnout look like? Because I think people hear a lot about it or it's like something we throw around a little bit when we're really tired and say, I'm totally burnt out on a Friday evening after a particularly busy week. What does actual burnout look like? Okay, there's 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 actual burnout and then there's what we call within the coaching world pre-burnout. Actual burnout is literally, Claire, you are mentally, physically, emotionally exhausted. You cannot move out of the bed. If anything, it can resemble, um, if I'm saying it correctly now, it's ME, do you like this chronic fatigue? And that's what they believed that I had at the time because it was taking everything within me to muster up the energy to get out of bed in the morning to have my breakfast. But once I do that, I'd have to go back to bed for a couple of hours. I'd then get up and have my shower back to bed for a couple of hours. 
but it's such a gradual process. And this is why it's so important, Claire, that when we get the early warning signs, that we take action because burnout is such a gradual process. We don't even, we can sometimes not even realize that it's happening. Like I was there thinking, yes, these are challenges, but I've dealt with challenges in the past and I've been fine. Never in my wildest dreams did I think that in October on the Friday when I went home to Galway to my parents, that when I went to bed that Friday night that I was going to be in bed for the next three months. I did not foresee that, but that's what happened. I had literally no energy. But if I look back now on reflection and on hindsight, I can see what was leading up to this, that the pre-burnout, I was starting to get tired. In the evenings, when I come home from work at four or five o'clock in the evening, it took me so much energy to cook the dinner, but I would cook it because I'm very much into nutrition and exercise. Like, no, just get the good food into you, Ashling, and you'll be fine. At the weekends, it was taking me all weekend to recover from my week. I was saying no to um, meeting up with friends and family because I knew that if I gave my energy to that, I would have absolutely no energy for the week ahead. I was starting to get in a real negative mindset about myself. I was getting real cynical about things. like, And again, that kind of losing confidence in my abilities they were all the pieces that were starting to happen. My sleep started to go off. I was waking up during the middle of the night for maybe an hour or two, finding it hard to fall asleep at night time. But again, this was because my mind was was in a space of, of negative thinking. I was, I was, I suppose the anxiety was back now as well. I was catastrophizing. There was black and white thinking going on. And I didn't talk there. I didn't tell anybody. And then next thing, as I said, that Friday, I arrived home to go away went to bed and then it was just kind of like lights out nearly like I was I was I was there in body but that was it and how did it feel during those 12 weeks because that was ultimately a a rock bottom and Mm. of course you got to a turning point but did it feel like you could just wave the white flag and, and give in was there any sort of comfort in that that you didn't have to try anymore or was it just really really dark oh no Claire was really dark like it was so scary and it was scary because I had no I I didn't know anybody that had experienced burnout I remember like when I would have the energy I'd be on the internet trying to google it get some information but there wasn't that much information out there at the time on burnout but I do remember reading one article um, and it was a it was a man he had burnout and he had said that you know he described it the same as me it was a gradual process you don't see it coming up there's the early warning signs there as you look back on reflection but it, it comes on you in it can feel like it comes on you instantly but you don't actually see the all the pre-stuff but he said it took him over a year to recover from it um and I was just devastated because Claire, I'm extremely ambitious. Like I have, I had all these dreams and plans that I that I wanted for my life, and and next thing you find yourself, you know, not able to even get up in the morning and and just hop out of bed, go down and have your breakfast and have your cup of tea, hop in for a shower and get dressed. That took me like a full day with naps in between to do all of that. So it was extremely scary, and I'll never forget then I was in and out to 
Amy getting all the medical assessments done. I was into my GP, getting everything checked out mentally. I went for mental health assessments. and Everything was coming back clear. Like I was told I was perfectly healthy. So I was like, how, how, how am I healthy? Like, this is not right. But I had no idea how I was going to help myself. And I suppose I am a very proactive person. If something is wrong with me, I'm straight away, okay, okay, Let how can I fix this? I'm very much a fixer, but I had no clue how this was going to, um, how to pan out. So I couldn't see, I wanted to see the light at the end of the tunnel, but I couldn't see it. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. And what helped during that time and, and what didn't? What helped? What helped was, again, I think, when I think of that 16-year-old who had that vision, I, 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 I had a clear vision, I had a clear goal, I knew I wanted to study nursing. And I was at sink or swim. So I'm like, what's the choice that I have here as a 16 year old? I'm like, I can let, I'm in the water. I can let the next wave be the thing that takes me under. Or I can do something, an action that hopefully, and I had no, I had no clue at that time if that action was really going to bring me closer to where I wanted my life to go. And I was here again in 2019. I, I, was, I was in the water. I was treading it. I was just about able to breathe, but I was like, okay, I have a choice. That was the only thing that I had. I was like, Ashley, nobody else can help you here. You have to be the person that makes the first step. You have to take the actions. Again, I had absolutely no clue what action, what, what was the action that was going to help me. But all I knew is that it's sink or swim. You let the next wave take you under, or you have a choice to just keep trying keep that vision in your head so it was do I let my vision or my fears be the thing that's going to to dominate the situation that I'm in now but because my vision was so clear what I wanted from my life was so clear it naturally mustered up a motivation within that horrible dark scary place to keep taking actions and those actions looked like trying to educate myself on burnout, trying to figure out who could help me. I just didn't give up. I, I just knew that I had, it was something in me that I was like, I can do this, but I just don't know how, but I'm not going to let it be, I'm not going to let it destroy me. 
it's 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 just like an innate survival mode that comes out. That's probably how I can describe it best. It's that, that innate survival. It's fight or flight. Which one is going to win here? And what was a turning point or was it gradual? There was an instant turning point, but, but it was gradual at the same time. So the turning point was I, I, I met, I, from my research, I found, I found out that a coach, now it was life coaching that I ended up doing, but it was executive and life coaching. So I went for an executive and life coaching purely because when I looked at how we helped people, it was within that performance and well-being space. And it was within that space that that was the first step where somebody was able to bring insights to the pattern that had shown up in my life, how it was really about this burnout had resulted from my mindset, my beliefs, the stories I was telling myself. Because of those beliefs and stories that I was telling myself, I really didn't know who I was. And because I didn't know who I really was, I really wasn't as confident as I was betraying myself to be. So it was about bringing me back to like, what were my values? What were my strengths? What was I passionate about? And then the other area that we worked on were my needs. And again, we we think we know our needs, but do we really? But then it's about discovering, I had to discover what my needs were, but then also how to communicate them. Because we think just because we're talking and we're saying words that we're communicating what we really want to communicate. But a lot of the time we're just communicating and saying words for the sake of it. So it was to learn, literally learn how to communicate my needs and then learn how to put healthy boundaries in place. And as I worked with my coach, it was it was it was a long process. It was, you know, it didn't just happen overnight. It took time. I had to take the actions working with my my coach who kept me accountable to my word and that's that was the process of how I recovered from my burnout how I found myself in a space of feeling like I had like homeostasis so to say within within my well-being and then that allowed me the opportunity to then to perform at my maximum potential and I I think as you say it, it kind of creeps up. You said you didn't even realize how many of these negative beliefs that you had about yourself. I mean, it's not like you were jumping out of bed and looking in the mirror and saying, oh, mm. you're, you're stupid. We don't understand. We, we don't comprehend yeah. how often we're saying them. It's it's on a subconscious level. It's whether you're running late or something doesn't go well or something doesn't happen and you just Mm. attribute it back to yourself again and again and again and it gets heavier and heavier and heavier unless you're unpacking it and having a good look at it completely completely and and that's it it's it's like what I say it's like it's like we're okay we're humans but we're going around with these like like an antennae on our head okay and again, it's done on such it's done on a subconscious level, we don't even realize it. So this antennae is up. So it's looking for things to confirm the story that you're telling yourself. So as I don't know, I know you're saying you're you're um you you've been taking the bus in and out to work lately. Um but we'll say for instance, Claire, if you missed it, and I'm throwing this out there if you had the belief that, you know, oh I'm stupid, I always get things wrong or nothing ever works out for me and nothing ever works out for me because I'm stupid. Next thing you miss the bus, okay? 
So your antennae is up. Oh, you know, that's going to kick off the story. Oh, Carrie, you've done it again. You know, you've missed the bus. You're so feckin' stupid, so you are. So that's, it doesn't have to be big things. It can be the small little things like that, but it's the story we're telling ourselves. And our words create our worlds. And it's unless we work with somebody to help us really see and bring awareness to what are those stories that we're limiting stories that we're telling ourselves what are those negative beliefs that you're holding about yourself and when we bring awareness to that we unpack it with somebody we get clarity we get awareness and then we have the choice are we going to let these old limiting stories and beliefs be the thing that guides our life, that dictates our future and continue on that road that we're going on? Or can we imagine that we're at the crossroads? We go the, we go the familiar route because there's nearly, com- there's nearly comfort in the struggle because it's what we know. Or do we work with someone and decide to be brave, be courageous, know that it's absolutely possible to achieve what you want to achieve but it takes courage because you're going to have to go down a different route but that can only happen when we bring awareness to what's stopping us how are we self-sabotaging and the awareness is the first step Mm -hmm. what comes next because I suppose action is important too at that crossroads you have to kind of step down that road yeah and even if they're baby steps you said earlier you're still going in a different direction there has to be action doesn't there there has to be decision absolutely it's like before I worked with a coach okay I always would have said that I was into personal development loved learning about myself and and I and I felt that I was this person because I read so many self, what they're called as these like, you know, self-help books or positive psychology. But when we read the book, do we actually do anything about it? No, we have all this gorgeous knowledge, but do we really take the actions to, to actually have what it says that we can have in the book? And this is the same with awareness. We, I can help my clients bring awareness to what's stopping them. I can bring awareness to their patterns, to their beliefs. But unless they take the actions, all it is is awareness. So yes, you can get stuck in an area that's not working for you, but you can equally just get stuck in awareness. And it takes the brave person, it takes the courageous person to then to take action and to do things differently. And there's a huge piece within the coaching space of of working on our performance and our well-being of of getting comfortable being uncomfortable. So we have to take the actions. We have to do the reverse of what we really want to do. And without the actions, we're just in a space of awareness. And awareness doesn't make things happen. We have to act. And it's small steps. Like I always say to my clients, like what's the 1% thing that you can do that's going to bring you closer? And how can you do that on a, on a, on a, on a repeated basis? And then we gradually, we start to break down those old beliefs, those old stories. And then next thing, before we know it, and it can take time, it's not going to happen overnight. We we find ourselves in a space of actually 
not living a life by those old beliefs, but living a life by what's actually true, that we are enough. And when did you make the decision that you were going to retrain and you were going to become a coach? Do you know, it was literally, I'll never forget my first, the first day that I was coached um, by my coach from, when I went to him for this, for my burnout. And I'll never forget that first session. I was blown away. I was like, what? I was like, I've gone to therapy for years, you know? I was like, okay, I know I've done all the healing, but no one has ever exposed my true self about who I am as a person to me the way this person has just done this. And I'm like, yes, I've healed like all that childhood stuff. And we all have childhood stuff that needs healing. I'm a firm believer in that. But how can we move forward now? You know, and I was like, I was like, oh, wow, this is brilliant. And I was like, this is action orientated. This is future focused. This is a side to myself that I never knew. And I was like, I want to help other people do this. I was like, this is really, and I suppose sometimes you don't know what you want until something like that happens and I was like this is definitely where I want to be I'm like if I and at this time I suppose I didn't know if I was going to even recover from the burnout but again the vision was starting to appear you know the survival mode was coming in and I was like this is where I want to be I want to help people I want to do this for people because I suppose I'd gone for therapy I'd worked within the mental health space for over well at that stage it might have been around 16 years working as a mental health professional being having received therapy neither of those had ever done the same thing that coaching had done for me I'd never been that person for my clients the quote the therapist had never been that person for me but they still was it was beneficial hugely beneficial I'm not taking away from it but coaching just added something completely different and I was like that's just absolutely magical and it was at that moment I decided right when I muster up the energy, I'm going to figure out what qualification do I need to have so I can be and do that for other people as well. And now that that is what you're doing, Mm -hmm. with all the clients you've had in front of you, are there common themes running through the stories people tell themselves? Oh yeah, it is. Like, Like Claire, we're all, we're all the same. And the common themes are, I'm not good enough. I'm a failure. I'm stupid. And it's because of something that's happened in our childhood. For some people, it's traumatic. For other people, it's not. It can just be like an event that happened. And, but this has become the belief that we've told ourselves. And if you can imagine... We normally develop these beliefs between the ages of zero and eight. For some people, it's up to 12. But if you can think, like I think of my niece, she's five and a half. Their minds are so immature, you know, that they're not, they're not really grasping the true essence of what life is about. They're not grasping the true essence of, of who they are as a person. But next thing an event happens in their life, like what I've done and what all of my clients do, and we start to tell ourselves that, you know, God, I'm stupid. I'm a failure. I'm not good enough. And we live our lives based on that belief. And how that shows up in the, in the coaching space when I'm working with my clients 
they don't have the confidence to communicate confidently within meetings. They're, they've absolutely no boundaries within the working space. They're constantly saying yes. And when they're constantly saying yes, they're never saying to, when they're saying yes to others and not saying yes to themselves, they don't have the confidence to go for promotions. They can, they're, they're business owners, but for some reason they're stuck. They're, they're not getting their, the, the cash flow isn't coming in. The clients aren't coming in. Stuff isn't working for them. But it's always the same thing. What's the story? What's the beliefs? And how are you showing up? Are you really showing up as who you really are as a person? And I think you touched on it earlier when you said there's almost a comfort in the struggle because it's what you know. Mm -hmm. It is actually easier to stay there and just retell the story, isn't it? Rather than take on the new energy of trying something different. And I, I, I think people sometimes don't don't realize that, don't realize that sometimes failure is just a part of life. So to say something's not working here, what mm. am I going to do about it? That takes a big, a big push of energy and a big push of self-belief. And if your story is telling you otherwise, it's even harder again. But we all have choice. And the question is, are you going to allow when awareness has been brought to true to to the person, to you, to me, am I going to allow those old limiting beliefs and stories be the thing that dictates my life? Or am I going to choose to believe in the possibility that that's not true and that I can achieve what I want to achieve? Yes, it's scary, but what if it works out? Yeah, what if it doesn't? And then that 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 creates another space because people generally go into like the judgments. Oh my God, what are people going to think? And I'm going to look so silly and I'm going to be mortified. And and like really, like I've spoken to so many people and people think if they're going to fail, their ultimate fear is that they're going to have a breakdown. But what if none of that happens? What if it actually does happen? But that's why I'm here. I was that person. I was, my limiting beliefs have impacted in my life in so many ways. But I choose to not let them be the things that were going to dictate my life, even though I have had so many struggles because of them. And I'm here today, Claire, because I chose to no longer let those be the things that dictated my life. Originally, you had chosen to work with healthcare professionals mm. to help them unpack all of this to avoid burnout. Has that changed over time? It has. Because what started to happen, Claire, initially I had, my niche was to help healthcare professionals who were struggling with burnout. But next thing, people from all these other professions started to come to me and ask me if I could coach them within that space of well-being, stress and burnout. But the theme that started to really shine through, again, when we were looking at like, you know, if you, if nothing changes, where are you going to be in a year? And they could all see that if they stayed within that same space, they chose to do nothing. Everything was just going to be a lot worse, a lot, lot worse. But if they chose to believe in their future and to take active steps, to be brave, willing and courageous, what their lives looked like when they had learned to manage their stress and their well-being always came down to this theme that they will be performing better within their career, that they will be unstuck. People were stuck. 
their their stress and burnout was coming from a place of, of feeling stuck. They're in their career, they don't know what they're going to do next. Or else they they were business owners and they wanted to go and expand their business. So that was what the gains were going to be by learning to manage stress and burnout. So I could really I just correlate made this link between okay, if we can learn how to manage our stress and our burnout, which really is our well being, really the impact is our performance within our career. Well, like if we're looking at the five elements of well-being, like they're these research-based five elements of well-being, when our career is working for us, everything else in life works for us. But if our career is not working for us, be it for whatever, we're stuck, we're not getting that promotion that that we want, we're not putting ourselves forward for it, or our business, it's not growing and expanding at the rate that we want it to grow. It's it just doesn't work. It life just won't work for us. But if we get life, if we get our career to work for us, it automatically it's like a ripple effect. Everything else starts to work in life too. I suppose it does take up such a huge amount of our time and mm. is so connected. Even if your career is to be at home raising kids, it's still the huge amount of time and your identity is tied up in it but I think sometimes when people think about their performance and I'm sure you have had huge success stories where people have really started to believe in themselves and their Mm -hmm. life has exploded and their business has expanded yeah but ultimately I think you know and you can tell me if you agree or not the goal is to feel content in yourself and to have built up the tools to catch yourself in those self-limiting beliefs the next time. Absolutely. So the next time you're running for that bus and you miss it, you're like, that wasn't your fault. You know, it's okay or it's not a big deal or it doesn't mean you're stupid. Yeah. When you hear yourself say it, you go, hang on a second. I've worked on that. I know that's not true. And you look up when the next bus is and you hop on. And I think that's where the huge gain is. Everything else that ripples out in your personal life, or your career, from there remains to be seen but the ultimate goal is being feeling content in where you are and who you are absolutely absolutely and and there's a lovely um little thing that I I use with my clients for those beliefs you know when we find it when we become aware of it then you know there's been there's reframing happens I work on reframing them I will help them um to change perspectives but also what I say and it's it's the three c's okay imagine you know you're running for the bus again and it's you're you're late for work and you see it driving off catch the thought okay then check it so is this true am I stupid because I've missed the bus is it logical to think this way does it serve me to to think this way and then change it how else what's the other what's what's the real story here that I could really be telling myself about what what really is actually happening. And it's just a gorgeous, so the three C's, so we can catch it, check it and change it. Yeah, because quite often there's a message in it, you know, you got up a little bit later and would it help if you laid out your clothes the night before or how could you help yourself to not miss that bus the following morning? It's just coming from a whole different place. It's not coming from a place of judgment. So are you ever fearful that burnout could come back or that you could ever spiral to that place again because I'm I'm assuming your business is thriving things are getting busy you know we're out of all the lockdowns life is busy again how do you stand firm that that is in your past and it's not part of who you are now 
<laughs> Do you know what? When I first started my business, this was actually, this was a real fear. So I actually really was so fearful that I was going to burn out again. So I, I, I spoke to my coach with this. We, we had a good few sessions about this fear that I had that, oh my God, what if I burn out again? But it all came back to me realizing that I had learned so much about myself. So Claire, I have this piece of paper up on my wall. I've got my values wrote up on it, my strengths, my passion, what I'm trying to help people achieve. And once I know that I'm living my life that's in line with my values, with my passions, with my mission, which is my purpose, that's that wasn't there when I was when the lead up to my burnout. Okay. But another huge thing, it's boundaries. But but the boundaries for me is around the self-care and what are my needs. So I I know what my needs are like. I'm at, at my absolute core, as chatty and all as I am and, and, and comfortable speaking with people, I'm quite an introverted person. So I need time on my own. I need to, in between clients, give myself some space. I, I can't rush from one client to another client. I need to take my 15, 20 minutes break where I totally switch off. So I work my day in a way that's meeting my needs. I'm, my values are, are being ticked. I'm using my strengths. I'm working on my passion. And I get a sense of purpose and contentedness from that. So when I feel... I suppose I know my triggers. So this is like what we would have called in mental health. And I, I do bring a lot of my mental health experience into my coaching is like, what are the early warning signs? So I know my early warning signs. And what I mean by early warning signs is because I've looked back and I've reflected on it and I've and I've seen, okay, what was actually starting to really happen when it was leading up to my burnout? So if any of those things start to happen again, how can I catch them? And I suppose that's actually where I'm just thinking about that now as I'm saying it now. Like, how can I catch them, check them and change them? And that's basically what I do within that. So if I feel that I'm starting to have difficulties falling asleep or if I'm waking up during the night or if I feel my diet, I, I'm finding it a bit more of a struggle to not eat as well. I'm ex- not exercising as much as I used to. They're my early warning signs. So I now know if any of those start to kick off, I'm not being true to myself. I'm not, my needs aren't being met. So then it's like, okay, what are my boundaries like? What boundaries have I not kept? And how can I now bring myself back in check so that I'm being all of that person to myself, who I need to be, so that I have my well-being and so I can then perform at my best. And again, it comes down to the fact that you took the time to unpack all of that and work all of that out so that's where your strength and your power comes from now I think Mm -hmm. there have been so many gems in this conversation for people and it's really what I wanted to put out there because of all the change makers I've spoken to we can't pour from an empty cup so we can't support change makers in what their mission is we can't be change makers ourselves even within our own life Mm. unless we're strong and content at our core and sometimes that takes a little bit of work Ashling Nestor thank you so much for talking to me today oh thank you so much Claire for having me on I really enjoyed that conversation 
Thank you for listening to Changemakers. If you enjoyed the podcast, I would love if you would take a moment to rate, review and subscribe. It helps other people to find the podcast too. Take care. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.